Hi, and welcome to the West Visalia Audio Podcast. Each message is designed to help you grow and inspire you to take action. Please take a moment to hit the subscribe button, and don't be shy to drop us a message if you have a question. Thanks for listening, and God bless. More familiar faces. It's good to just have everybody together be able to worship God. If you're new here, we hope you found everybody to be welcoming and loving and friendly. We're not perfect by any stretch, but we do serve a perfect Lord, and we love that too. We've got a lot of things going on here at the Western Church of Christ in the next several weeks. I want a quick announcements, and then we'll get into a lesson. Remember, our small groups are tonight. We got one at the Robinson Home at 6 p.m., one at the Weatherford Home in Corcoran at 6 p.m., and one meeting here at the church building. Great chance to get to know other people. Bible camp is coming up June 9th through, or June 4th through the 9th. Registration is, if you're interested in staff at Bible camp, sign up now because we have to do um, background and child safety training and stuff like that, so we have to get you in there quickly for that. And then also remember our men's leadership forum, leadership discussion class starts this Tuesday, and this is for don't be intimidated by leadership there. We just want you all to be there. We're going to discuss things. It's a great opportunity to bring friends too, so every guy's expected to be here at that one um, on Tuesdays from on those dates on the flyer. Well, the, oh, one more too. Saturday in the park, yes, just like the Chicago song. However, the park that it's at, Jim, I put it on the flyer now, it's on the church ground, so we're not going to a park. We have a big park out there. So we're going to get together this next Saturday at 6 o'clock, hang out, skateboards, do whatever you want to do out there, and uh, we'll have a barbecue and then a devotional at the end, just a way to get together with our brothers and sisters. Our lesson this morning has one big idea, and this is the point that I want us to remember as we leave here today, and that is in the world when you allow God to help others through you. It's not so much us helping others, but it's God using us, God directing us, and us furthering his will when we help other people. And when we do that, we can make a huge difference in this world. And here's what I mean by that. We need to work to change our default mode, our natural instantaneous gut response to certain situations. Early on in our life, we program ourselves to act and respond a certain way depending on the situation. Um, sometimes we've trained ourselves, you know, or when, when something's coming at us, other times we've trained ourselves to block, you know, all sorts of things, right? But we need to train ourselves that when we see a need, no matter what that need is, our immediate reaction, our, our gut response, our default mode should be the help. That's what it means to be a Christian, right? I mean, love your neighbor as yourself, love your Lord with all your heart. When we see a need, our immediate reaction should be to help. Put it more plainly, we need to have compassion instead of disgust or annoyance. And if you're like me, I have a tendency to make my default mode being annoyed, I was backing out of my driveway like yesterday, and there was a car coming down the road. I didn't see the person, and I backed out of the driveway. All of a sudden, they had hit their brakes. I had hit my brakes. We almost hit each other. My gut reaction was, how dare they drive down my street? Like, seriously. I was like, what are you thinking, right? They can be on this street, too. But my gut reaction to that situation was annoyance, which I had no right to be annoyed. I needed to watch out for them. I was the one backing out. Of the driveway. Now, I know that's kind of a silly one, but we do this, right? Where we have a response that's not always 
biblical. I know I shared this a few months back. It still has stuck with me because um, how impactful the situation was. Family and I were down in Southern California on a trip to Disneyland. We got up that morning, got out of our hotel. Our plan was to walk to the shuttle bus and take the shuttle bus into Disneyland. We had it all planned out. If we get on the shuttle at this time, we'll get to the park at this time. We can get to the rope at this time. And when the rope drops, we're running straight to the new Star Wars ride. And we're going to be on it at this time. And be we had it all planned out. So I'm hurrying the kids. We're rushing the kids. And as we're going to the shuttle bus, there's some homeless people camped out there on the street. See that down there in the big cities like that, and we're kind of directing our kids around this. And one of the, the homeless ladies sitting right there in the middle of the sidewalk, as we walk by, vomits on the sidewalk. Okay, my initial reaction was disgust, annoyance, and get the kids out of the way because they're probably going to step in it. Okay, and we rushed on past, kind of like troubled by the situation. Got on the shuttle bus, spent a whole bunch of money that those people didn't have at Disneyland, and went back to the hotel. That morning, Zinni, as I mentioned before, said, I had a hard time sleeping last night. And I said, why? She goes, I kept thinking about that lady and how we walked by and we didn't help. And then I started thinking about that situation, how we walked by and we didn't help. And it still bothers me. That this I looked for that lady, too, when we got back to the hotel after Zinni said that. Like looking out the window, maybe she's there. No clue what happened. Was she having a medical emergency? I, I don't know. Was it drugs? I don't know. But my gut response, my default mode was not, I feel sorry for this lady. It was, that's gross. Get out of my way. That's not a Christian response. See, for me to do the Lord's will in this world, I need to allow him to work through me. And the way God works through people is through compassion, right? God has always wanted his people, Christians, right? Us to reflect compassion out there in the world. We're not annoyed by people's problems. We're Christians. We're here to help, right? We're not bothered or put out or disgusted by people in their bad situations. We have empathy. We feel sorry for them. We mourn with them. We help them because God wants us to reflect his compassion in the world. And there's neat teaching in the Old Testament, and it's kind of buried in there. But when you start to see it, you really see how God views other people. And it's what God teaches about gleaning. Now, you might not be familiar with this word. Now, I know we do have some members in our congregation here that at different times were part of the Tulare County Gleaners, so they understand what this word means. But here's what this was. Back in those days, and even now you could do it, what people would do, the command was and the expectation was, if you grew a field of, of a crop of any kind, you would not over-harvest it. You would leave some things behind for the purpose of other people to be able to have it. It was a biblical teaching. In Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 9, God told the Israelites this. He said, when you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of the harvest. Over your vineyard a second to pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner, for I am the Lord your God. See what God set up there? For those that needed something or going with out, God told his people, the Israelites back then, the farmers, hey, leave some stuff behind. Now, we don't farm like that today. That's the reason why you can't hunt pheasants in the Central Valley almost anymore, right? We farm from road to road. I mean, there is no leftover spot. There is no anything. 
I remember being a kid, my grandparents had vineyards there on the west side. And, you know, after they'd harvest all the grapes, we would hope we could find some grapes to eat. No, you pick them all because each grape is money, right? Well, God said here, leave some behind. He does it in places. Deuteronomy 24, he told them the same thing. When you harvest the grapes in your vineyard, do not go over the vines again. Leave what remains for the foreigner, for the fatherless, for the widow. And then he says this, remember that you were slaves in Egypt. This is why I command you to do this. So he says, look, look out for the people that don't have foreigners, people that are traveling. Um, look. Then he tells them, look out for the, the orphans, the widows. And he says, and also remember where you came from right? You used to be without in Egypt. Remember when you were slaves there? You didn't have anything? Remember where you came from and leave something for someone else. God basically wanted his people to plan to help others. Do we do that? How do we handle our giving? How do we handle our generosity out there in the world? Is it, well, if we have something left over, then I'm going to give it to those in need? Or do we plan you know, a lot of times when one of the brothers will get up here and, and give a little talk before we make contribution, they'll, they'll recite that, have you planned and purpose in your heart to give? And I know we hear that phrase a lot, but God has always wanted his people to plan and purpose to help others. It's not just some accidental thing, well, when we get around to it. There's intentionality behind it. They would intentionally not pick everything so that others could have something. With that as the backdrop, let's continue our study of the book of Ruth this morning. If you haven't already done so, open up your Bibles to the book of Ruth. If you're new to the Bible, it's in the Old Testament. If you go to the front of the Bible, there's probably an index in the front. There's one in the pew there in front of you. You can find it, or you probably have one on your phone. And actually, if you Google Ruth 2, you will find what we're looking at this morning. But we've been beginning a series on the book of Ruth, which is one of those kind of overlooked books of the Old Testament but kind of a way of review from last week. Here's what we looked at last week. Remember, there was an Israelite woman by the name of Naomi. And Naomi faces tragedy while living in Moab. Initially, she lived in Israel or Judah, however you want to call it. And her husband, because there was a famine in the land, had this plan that we're going to move to Moab. So Naomi, her husband, and her two sons moved to Moab. While they're there, the two sons grow up and they marry Moabite women. And what happens is things get really, really rough. Naomi's husband dies and her sons die. And now she is left in the middle of a foreign land and now there's a famine there. So it's Naomi and her two daughter-in-laws in a foreign land without any food. And especially in that culture at that time, for a woman, a single woman, to be out on her own like that, that would be very much a challenge. You could be taken advantage of, and you also, there wasn't career and ownership of opportunity. So Naomi decides that they're going to go to Israel. They're going to go back home a decade later to Israel because there's food there. Now, one of the daughter-in-laws named Orpah, not Oprah, um, goes home and goes back to her people. And Ruth, the other daughter-in-law makes a vow. She vows that she's going to stay with Naomi. She's going to take care of her. That Naomi's people will be her people. Naomi's God will be her God. You basically have this conversion of this Moabite woman to following the God of the Israelites. So they go back to Israel. And when they arrive there, we find that Naomi is still very bitter over all that has happened to her. And 
understand that. I mean, she's lost her husband, she's lost her sons, and she has no food and no place. You have at least a right or an understanding. We understand why you'd be a little bit bitter there. She might be over the top with it when she changes her name to bitterness. I wouldn't recommend you do that, but she's upset about the situation. Ruth also now, the daughter-in-law of Naomi, is in a new country around a whole different type of culture and people, and they still don't have food. Teaching about gaining comes in. Let's read Ruth chapter 2, and I'm going to start there, verse 1. Now, the author here gives us kind of an overview. It says, Now Naomi had a kinsman of her husband, a man of great wealth, of the family of Limelech, whose name was Boaz. So um, Naomi does have a relative in that area, but they haven't come in contact with him yet. The author is just giving us a little bit of background to it. It says, Ruth, the Moabitess, and it's noticeable there that she's different from the other people. She said the name the ears of grain after one whose sight I may find favor and Naomi said to her go my daughter so Ruth goes hey let me go out there and I'll pick some of the leftover items in the field and hopefully one of the landowners will be kind and compassionate to us he won't say hey get out of here. he'll say no 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 no. that's why it's, why it's there so she departs and she goes to it and what happens is the field she chooses to glean from is the field that turns out to be owned by a distant relative of Naomi through marriage. Now, I think God's at work in this. God's orchestrating a situation here. However, on the surface, we don't always know what God is working in our life. We might just think it's a happy coincidence, and later on we'll look back and go, oh, man, that's God working. We look back now and go, man, God's at work. At, them, at that moment, you know, it just kind of almost seems to be happenstance at first. Now she's in that field, and behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to his harvesters, his reapers, he said, may the Lord be with you. And they said, may the Lord bless you. He has a, a good relationship with his servants here on the, on the farm. And then Boaz said to his servants, hey, who's that, who's that young lady out there in the field? So he notices her. He goes, who's that young woman out there in the field picking, you know, grain? And the servant said, young Moabite woman that returned with Naomi from the land of Moab. So apparently the word had kind of got back. To, Whoa, Naomi's back in town. She's really bitter and she's got this Moabite woman with her. So the word got out. And Boaz, you know, in this situation, oh, the servant tells Boaz she asked to be on the field and we told her it was okay. So she's been out there, you know, picking and now she's sitting back where she's at. My daughter. So he goes up to Ruth. And he says, listen carefully, don't go to any other fields, and don't leave this one, but stay here with my maids. He says, let your eyes be on the field, which they reap, and go after them. And he says, indeed, I have commanded the servants not to touch you when you are thirsty. Go get water out of our well if you need it. And so Boaz goes, look, hey, um, ma'am, I, I want to help you. He goes, feel free to pick anything you want out here in this field to go behind them. If you need water, go draw water. There's a vessel there to draw it. I'm going to make sure that I tell everybody that works here not to bother you or harass you. Because, I mean, there's all sorts of things that could have happened to Ruth. She could have just been driven out of the field by an over problem. She could have been abused or assaulted. and Somebody out there alone in a field and a bunch of maybe male farm around and she's a foreign woman and 
you know, think maybe it's not the safest place. Boaz makes sure that she's and that she's what she needs. Overwhelmed by this. Verse 10, she falls on her face, she bows down and says, Why have I found I'm just a foreigner? He says, He says, All you have done for your mother in law, after the death of her, of your husband, has been fully reported to me. And how you left your father and your mother in the land of your birth and come to a people that you did not previously know. He goes, I heard about you. I heard that you're a person that committed to helping this woman out. So now I want to help you. And it's kind of contagious, right? When someone's doing a good deed, it motivates you to do a good deed, and it motivates another person to do a good deed, and you have this snowball effect of compassion out there in the community just because one person decided to sacrifice himself to serve another. And then in verse 12, he tells her, he says, may you richly be rewarded by the Lord, God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. He says, may the Lord bless you. We're here so then Ruth goes back to Naomi, she goes back to her mother-in-law, and she starts to tell everything that has happened, uh, and all of that, and how Boaz helped her out, and how he was there to care for her, and Naomi is overjoyed by all of this, and in verse 20, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law about Boaz, may he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness had not forsaken the living or the dead. Now look what Naomi says, so Ruth is able to get grain, she goes tells Naomi, hey, Boaz is a super nice guy. He's taking care of us. We're not going to starve. It's good. Naomi says, may he be blessed by the Lord because his kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi has a flair drama, by the way. It's like they almost, she considers herself dead at this moment. She goes, but he has um, redeemed us, right? And verse, then she goes on. She says, Naomi said to her, the man is a close relative of ours and one of our redeemers. What an interesting choice of words for a wealthy landowner by the name of Boaz. Naomi calls Boaz a what? Redeemer. You familiar with that word at all? I mean, that's one of those religious words that we throw around a lot, but redeemer has some familiarity to it. Now, what I think you're going to see in this passage is that helping other people makes us into let's talk about this word here for a moment though the word redeemer in this passage is a hebrew word gaal okay and i'm probably not pronouncing it right um, but if you say anything with a deep guttural accent people assume you know hebrew um, so but this hebrew word for redeemer right here is often translated rescuer or one who buys back um, one who saves and then there's this other word here, it's a family deliverer, and it's specifically used for a situation when um, a family member dies and they kind of take on their family and take care of them, kind of almost an adoption type situation where you now pledge to care for them. You've bought them into your family, you've redeemed them, you've rescued them, you've saved them. It's a powerful word, this word redeemer. And I don't think it is an accident that Naomi chooses to use this word in this passage because God is at work behind all of this. This word redeemer has a lot of history to it. It means to save, to buy back, to rescue, to care for. And who else in scripture is called a redeemer? Who? Jesus, right? We sing a song. I know that my redeemer lives. 
The same word there in Old Testament transferred over to New Testament used to describe Jesus as a redeemer is used to talk about Boaz. Now there's a lot there. Obviously Jesus is the ultimate redeemer. Boaz is just redeeming the situation. Jesus saves all people. He just saved one. However, there's a really cool thread running through all of this. Because when Boaz helped Ruth, he became a redeemer to the one, because Ruth is a great, 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 great grandma of Jesus, okay? He became a redeemer to one who is in the genealogy of the ultimate redeemer, that is Jesus. It's cool how the Bible works, isn't it? I mean, at that moment, at that time, they had no clue of the future things that was going to happen. But God is at work with all of this. Painting this picture, leading to that conclusion. He goes, remember that Boaz being a redeemer? I got a better redeemer for you in Jesus. When Boaz helped Ruth, he became a redeemer to one who, because of her, the true redeemer, Jesus Christ, would later be born. All because he chose to help somebody. How awesome is that? Just because he chose to do the right thing at that moment. Right? I mean, it wasn't some over-the-top thing. It was, well, give her some food. There's leftover grain in the field. Don't hurt her. But because of that, something magnificent happens. So what's a lesson then for us? Three big lessons that I think we can take from this passage this morning from Ruth. And then the lesson will be, and I encourage you to read ahead for next week. First lesson is this. When we help others... We are allowing Jesus to redeem others through us. Who saved Ruth there? God did. How did God save Ruth? Through Boaz. How does God help us today? Well, he can help in many different ways, but many times he helps other people through people. We can do redemptive acts. Not dying on the cross for people's sins, redemptive acts, but saving people, rescuing people, helping people through doing good deeds. And when we do that, God is using us to redeem others in the same way that Jesus redeemed all of mankind. That's lesson number one for us. So that's how big it is. When you give to the poor, when you help... uh, sick homeless person on the street that you wanted to ignore, when you give of your means, when you sacrifice, when you buy somebody lunch, okay, you could be doing a redemptive act for that person that God wants you to do. Number two, you never know who you might be helping. You never know. Did Boaz know that, wow, you know, in the future there's going to be a king named David and Ruth is going to be his grandma and that David was going to have a wife named Bathsheba and on and on and on and on and it's going to come to the Jesus being born of Mary, a virgin in a manger. I mean, no, he didn't know any of that. You never know who you may be helping and what your compassion could cause generationally in the future. See, we think so much about here and now. Well, if I help this person, I can't take care of myself at the moment. But the reality is, we could be enacting worldwide change 200 years from now, 1,000 years from now, by that one act of kindness that we do. You never know who you might be helping. Curtis in his Hebrew class, or Hebrews class on Wednesday night, remember Hebrews chapter 2 talked about be careful to show hospitality towards strangers or show love towards Some have shown hospitality or entertained angels in the past, right? You never know whom you are showing compassion toward, and you never know 
what future redemptive work God may be furthering through you. Your little act of kindness right here could be part of a masterful plan that God has to do something way over here. Your act of kindness here might result in the salvation of that person over there. We never know what God is doing. But we do know that when we show love and compassion toward others, we are furthering, increasing his work. So what's the point for us? The point for us is when we see a need, our immediate reaction should be the help. Because you never know what could be accomplished by that one singular act of kindness. Boaz just left some leftovers in his field. And look what happened. You know, we might just be giving to one poor person, helping a widow out, making a visit, making a phone call, donating to this charity, talking to that lonely person, reaching out to that person who needs some help. You never know what you could be accomplishing through that work. So the lesson is yours this morning. And the lesson is, is for me too. Let's be a people that get out there and help. Thanks again for listening to West Visalia Audio. We hope these messages have helped you grow and inspired you to take action. Be sure to check in each week for more on-the-go content or visit our YouTube channel to watch the live video. Thanks for participating and God bless. Thank you.